Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and it's Masters Week, question mark? Yeah, I don't know. It's supposed to be Masters Week, but uh, we don't have the Masters. It's been postponed, which we actually have more information on. Uh, But we're going to go through this week all of the memorable moments from the Masters over the years, or at least the ones that are memorable to me. This is hopefully an opportunity for me to provide a little extra details on some rounds and some events that you remember and and I can provide a little bit more context because as I was doing this, there were things that I had completely forgotten about. But the real news at the top, uh, normally I've been coming up on here telling you this event has been canceled and that event has been canceled, but this is actually good news uh, for the time being. There are schedules on the golf calendar. The PGA Tour and all of the governing bodies across the world of golf with the RNA, the PGA of America, the LPGA, Augusta National, you name it, they were part of a joint statement that was released this morning that outlines the plan for how golf will be treated moving forward. The big things to come out of that are as follows. The Open Championship has been canceled. This will be the first year since 1945 that the Open Championship or any major has not been played. We are not rescheduling it. It is canceled for the year 2020. The RNA has also announced that Royal St. George's will host the Open Championship in 2021. So Royal St. George's will not miss out on their Open Championship. But we will only have and hopefully have three majors this season. The only other times the Open Championship was canceled was basically just war-related. World War I, World War II, and more comically, uh, back in the late 1800s, young Tom Morris would not return the championship belt, and they could not hold the Open Championship the next year. In fact, it took them two seasons to get a new trophy to replace the championship belt that young Tom Morris would not return. They held the event two years later. Young Tom Morris came back and won that too. So uh, imagine going and not playing an entire event because the past champion did not return the trophy. Otherwise, it's only war related, but there is good news at the back end of 2020. The Masters has a date. The Masters has been confirmed for the week of November 9th to the 15th, which means all of the Augusta purists are going to hate this. They're not going to get 
Azalea's blooming down Magnolia Lane in April the same way that Bobby Jones has played it and the same way it's been played for a billion years. That's not going to happen because the Masters will take place as of right now in November. The high temperature in Augusta, Georgia last November 9th through 15th was about 46 degrees, so it'll be playing quite a bit different this time around. I think it is interesting though that we could get a Masters in November of 2020 followed by a Masters in April of 2021. Two Masters in a five or six month stretch will be uh, unbelievably exciting to go with the rest of the fall schedule that is, as of right now, going to include the U.S. Open, which was previously in mid-June, June 15th, moved to the week of September 14th to the 20th. So in September, still at winged foot in New York, and then the governing bodies reconfirmed that the following week after the U.S. Open will be the Ryder Cup. So imagine this. Imagine a scenario in which we play a U.S. Open in New York and every golfer in the Ryder Cup then immediately flies directly to Whistling Straits to compete in a Ryder Cup on American soil. That will be very exciting, uh, assuming this all takes place. The PGA Championship has been confirmed for August 3rd through 9th, so that's moving to the fall as well, which is really compacting the fall schedule. You've got the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, the Ryder Cup, the Masters, all this fall competing with football which will be weird but as i've been saying for the last couple of weeks it's time to embrace the weirdness of this season we're going to have a bunch of events out of order we're going to have a bunch of events that are canceled or postponed or moved or look a lot different than what we would normally see but i encourage you to embrace the weirdness of 2020 and 2021 and we'll be right back at it before you know it what's even more interesting is the tour has kept the FedEx Cup playoffs and the final event of the season, the Wyndham Championship, all in place and in order. They've all just been moved back one week. So the Wyndham Championship, followed by the Northern Trust, the BMW Championship, and finally the Tour Championship in that order, all moved back, which means the Tour Championship will culminate Labor Day weekend, September 7th, which, according, if the, if the rest of the sports world... Uh, stays in place would basically be week one or week two of the NFL season. Weird, but it keeps everything in order. Now, if you've noticed what I've said about the dates, the Masters, the U.S. Open, they're going to be played after the Tour Championship. So clearly there is going to be some FedEx Cup playoff implications by not having those major events prior to the playoffs. It seems like there's going to be a lot less FedEx Cup points up for grabs as the tour heads into its playoffs and into its championship season. On top of all of that, the previously and now vacated dates for the U.S. Open, the PGA Championship, even, I guess not the Masters because the Masters is this week, with the Olympics, they all are being listed, not confirmed, but listed as, as potential PGA Tour events. So, Formerly U.S. Open week, which which was mid-June, June 15th to the 21st, is being listed as a potential PGA Tour event. That is the first time, and as of right now, the most likely, the earliest date that we get golf back in our lives. So, with uh, that week in mid-June, 
followed by a handful of other open weeks. There are events still to be played. There is no indication yet on whether the tour is going to try to make up events er from earlier in the season that were previously canceled. Maybe you take, I don't know, the Colonial move it here. You take Valero Texas Open move it here. No one knows. We've got a lot of that uh, still to figure out or if they're just going to be reshuffling the events later in the season into different weekly slots. There's a lot to figure out. We we don't know, but this is a really good sign for the world of golf, the PGA Tour, to start putting dates on the calendar. As we know, there is a lot of uh, planning, a lot of setup. I mean, think about the grandstands alone, the volunteers alone that go into each one of these events. Major championships usually are boots on the ground with volunteers and with staff years out, a year or two out. Obviously, we're well within that time frame. So these are just dates that the tour and the world of golf can work towards. However, basically, whenever we come back, I imagine it is going to be without fans. But golf being a sport that is played outdoors, uh, where the competitors do not have to touch each other. There are, I mean, there's a lot of volunteers that go into this. There are a lot of marshals and there's a lot of media that go to these events but you can spread them out i still do believe and i'm optimistic that golf will be one of the sports that comes back first uh, other sports like the nba that have already had athletes and training staff test positive for covid19 where their com competitors are sweating on each other touching each other that is going to be a more difficult path of return for the nba but golf not necessarily in that same position. So I am optimistic about them being one of the first sports to come back. So when you look at the potential of this season, you know, if you, if you guaranteed me, this was what the outcome would be. And this would be the schedule that we're actually going to see come the fall. I'm really excited. This is going to be a jam packed fall of golf. That is going to include a bunch of majors right in a row. And then you're going to roll that directly in to next season. And it's it's going to be a ton of really great golf all in a row. I, I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, I you know Obviously, fingers crossed that this is the actual outcome. It's really, you know, I, I don't know how optimistic we should be. The tour has to put dates out far enough in advance. They have to work towards something. So this is just the current revised schedule. We've heard the word fluid uh, countless times over the last couple of weeks, but this is something that is really exciting. Now, I will caution this. Even if this schedule happens, I think it would be very optimistic to think that fans are going to be in attendance for any of this. Uh, quite frankly, I think the PGA Tour has one of the best cases and golf in general has one of the best cases of being one of the first sports to come back. The fact that it is played outdoors uh, across many acres and the competitors do not really have to touch one another is a, is a good format for a sport that, is, that could come back after all this quickly. Or maybe not quickly, but first. Uh, someone, something like the NBA that has already had some of their athletes and training staff test positive for COVID-19 and the competitors are constantly sweating all over each other, touching all, touching each other. That is generally probably not a good combination, um, to, to come back from quite frankly, you know, you have to be very sure 
and very prepared and have covered every base when, when the NBA comes back. I'm not optimistic about the NBA's return. I'm more optimistic about golf's return. And I don't, I say golf in general, as opposed to the PGA tour, because golf's played all over the world outside of just the PGA tour, but I'm much more optimistic about that. I also don't think you're going to have fans and you're certainly not going to have fans in the NBA or the NFL. I cannot imagine a scenario in which they pack 20,000 fans into an arena or a hundred thousand fans into a stadium. That to me seems crazy. Um, so I, you know, you could play this without fans. You could have volunteers. You wouldn't need as many marshals if there weren't fans there. You could get away with a pretty bare bones set of people that show up to these events. It's still a lot, but you could you could get them in a situation where um, you don't have a lot of people there. You're just televising it, and and golf comes back. So I'm very very optimistic about that. But we will see how this plays out. But looking to mid June to come back for golf. Uh, with no Open Championship this season, but potentially a U.S. Open, a Ryder Cup, and a, PG, a PGA Championship, and a Masters this fall. Should be really interesting. I don't know who this benefits or who this hurts. I mean, we talked about the kind of double-edged sword of, of Tiger Woods and, and some guys who have more time to, to get right um, before, you know, now, now they've got more months to, for the Masters. But this would be really exciting if it ends up happening. Fast forwarding to um, our topic for today, which is actually Masters moments and and some of the more memorable situations that we have uh, at the Masters at Augusta National. And and one of the big things that I want to talk about, you know, uh, there's so many good there's so many good moments. It it was hard for me to kind of narrow down this list at all, but to be able to put together something that I feel comfortable with, that's like, hey, this is what these what I think are the most memorable it might be based on a specific shot. It might be based on a specific result or just the historical aspect of it. And there's so many of those options at Augusta National. So I want to start at really what I think is the beginning of a new era. And it's the 1997 Masters, of course. The Tiger Woods victory uh, in 1997 as a 21-year-old, as the first non-white winner of the Masters, really ushers in a new era of golf in the same way. I I think there's two aspects of this when you want to compare it to baseball. Uh, There is the Babe Ruth era where he kind of brought in the live ball era. And then there is the Jackie Robinson era where he broke the color barrier to uh, allow African-Americans to play baseball. Tiger kind of did both at the same time. So when Babe Ruth goes out and hits, I don't know, 60 home runs in a season, there were some teams that had a fraction of that total combined. Uh, He literally changed the game. And that's what Tiger did with his 12-shot win over Tom Kite. He just absolutely decimates the field. He goes out in a flurry, uh, never gives this thing up. You know, there there are quotes from, I think, Ernie Els and other competitors that are saying, like, we were playing for second. You know, the guy had a 10 shot lead on Sunday Conditions were getting worse and he just kept getting better. And to go out and win at 21 years old, your first major, your first Masters, 12 shots, which is the biggest margin of victory the Masters has ever seen, that's pure dominance. That's the Babe Ruth level aspect of what Tiger Woods did where he completely changed the game. Um, you know, Babe Ruth was was playing against guys that were not professional baseball players, right? They were carpenters and plumbers and whatever else. And on the side, they played baseball. 
And it's not, it wasn't exactly like that for Tiger Woods, but these guys weren't athletes. You know, the guys that, that Tiger was competing against weren't necessarily the greatest athletes in the, in the world. Some of them were just a bunch of old white guys who played golf and, and Tiger Woods is, is an athlete. And now you look at all of the, all of the guys on the tour now who are jacked and athletic and, and they're athletes who just happen to play golf. That's because of Tiger Woods. Um, so that's part, that's part one of this. Then you go and you look at it from a, a historical standpoint, being the first non-white Masters winner ever um, at 21 years old, and you have just opened up the game for so many different players, so many different kids from so many different backgrounds, because everyone saw it. Um, you know, 44 million Sunday viewers. This was the biggest television rating event, you know, sporting event ever at the time. It, it was just all eyes were glued to Tiger Woods on Sunday at Augusta to win the 1997 Masters. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even a competition. It's not like they were tuning in to find out the result because the result was in question. It was not. The, the, the result was never in question. They just wanted to witness greatness. And that is exactly what they saw from Tiger Woods. And that really changes the game. Because now we've got Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, all of these guys on the PGA Tour who grew up watching Tiger Woods, who grew up thinking they were, you know, trying to be athletes, trying to be this great thing. He started all of that. He did it all. Um, and what's also kind of lost in this is he was the reigning U.S. amateur champion. Sean Martin of PGATour.com pointed this out to me. He was the reigning U.S. amateur champion at the time. That would have been like, to put that into perspective, is if Victor Hovland last year in the 2019 Masters went out and won by 12 strokes. That's what that would have been like. It would have been unheard of and it would have been obscene and we would have tweeted about it and we would have talked about it until who knows what. Uh, that's how insane it is and that's exactly what Tiger Woods, what Tiger Woods did. So not only was this um, memorable from the aspect of Tiger's first 1997, but I think this is a true line in the sand for one era over another era and how things have played out recently because this is just makes every golfer in history uh, better. It makes them all athletes. It gets sponsorship money. It gets viewers. It gets everything. This is where the, the tour literally turned a corner and is the, the starting point of where the PGA Tour is as we know it right now. Okay, we're going to dive into a, a lot of other memorable tournaments and I'll wrap up with some fun facts. But first, we're going to take a quick break and I'll hear, I'll hear from you guys on the other side. DailyRoto.com Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. 
Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm Rick Gaiman, and we actually had some news at the top of the show. If you missed it, the PGA Tour and governing bodies, uh, LPGA, RNA, PGA of America, Augusta National, everybody um, with a joint statement has put dates on the calendar, which is super exciting. I'll give you just the highlights. We dove into it at the top, but just to highlight this. The Masters has a date currently November 9th to the 15th. So as of right this moment, we are going to get a Masters in 2020. And then we'll turn around five months later and have a Masters in 2021, which will be fun. The U.S. Open, originally scheduled for mid-June, will now be uh, September 14th to the 20th, the week before the Ryder Cup. So we're going to go U.S. Open, Ryder Cup, back-to-back weeks. That is going to be wild. The PGA Championship confirmed to be moved to August 3rd. And the casualty, the Open Championship has been canceled uh, for this year and has said they will return to Royal St. George's in 2021. So Royal St. George's will not miss out on their Open Championship. That leaves June 15th, the former U.S. Open date as probably the most likely date for golf to return. Obviously, all of this can change in the blink of an eye. Uh, All of it is very fluid, but we have dates on this calendar that I think is good, right? I mean, these, these tours, these entities, they really had to put something on the calendar to work towards. I, I mean, a lot of these events take months Some of the majors take years of preparation. You know, some majors have people on site two years in advance getting ready for all of this. So I think that I I don't know how optimistic these dates are. I don't know how realistic they are, but you have to start putting dates on a calendar and, and start working at them and see if you can, and see if you can meet them. So with or without fans, which I am uh, pessimistic about the attendance of fans at any of these events. Golf is technically on the calendar, potentially mid-June as a return date, and a November Masters should be something special. But because it is Masters Week, we are going through some of the more memorable Masters moments, things that you might remember, things that you might not remember, from the history of this great tournament. We started with 1997 Masters, Tiger Woods, the youngest uh, winner of the Masters ever, 
coming out and scorching the field by 12 strokes over Tom Kite. And then I'm going to stay in the 2000s, or I guess not stay in the 2000s because 1997 is not in the 2000s, but I'm going to go to 2000, 2004 to be exact, and Phil Mickelson leaping into the history books. See what I did there? Phil leaping into the history books. His first major championship, his first of three Masters titles, opens with a Thursday 72. That's an even par round. And then he goes 69, 69, 69 to win. I don't think a lot of people remember that this was a duel between Phil Mickelson and Ernie Els on the back nine, even though they were not in the same group. Ernie finished, Ernie was a few groups ahead of Phil, I believe. Phil was in the final group. But Ernie Els made two eagles in his final round on Sunday to really apply the pressure on Phil Mickelson. And it all came down to an 18-foot putt on number 18 that if Phil makes for birdie, he wins the Masters. If he misses, presumably we are going to a playoff with Ernie Els. Phil rolls it in and jumps up in the air and shows us all his two-inch vertical. Remember that? Arm straight up in the air. This is the iconic scene that would later become Phil's logo. Literally the logo that he has on shirts and shoes and whatever else. That's the Phil logo. It's kind of incredible because, you know, the Phil Mickelson story is one that's complex. It's one that also features, it features a lot of winning, but it also features a lot of losing. It features the fact that Phil Mickelson, you know, playing in the Tiger Woods era, never touched world number one status, which is almost unfathomable for a guy who won like 40 plus times on the PGA tour. Um, I think he's second, second on the all-time money list, never became the world's number one player because he was always playing in Tiger's era. Also, uh, you know, we know about the six runner-up finishes at the U.S. Open, the only major he does not have on his resume for the career Grand Slam. Uh, we know about all that. So there is a, uh, a story of Phil that is a lot of losing, but there's also a story of Phil that's a lot of winning. So that's what made this 2004 Masters so memorable because he turned pro in 1992. So from 1992 to 2004, that's 12 years, right? If my math is correct, without a major championship, yet being one of the best players on the face of the earth. He had that designation of best player to never win a major for so long. And he's such a likable guy, right? You know, it was like, it's like the Chicago Cubs, the lovable losers. That's what Phil Mickelson was trying to shake for a decade and a half. And there were so many close calls, even at the masters leading up to this. I did not remember that in the four years prior to this 2004 win, Phil was knocking at the door at Augusta T seven, third, third, and third in the four tournaments leading up to the 2014 masters. Uh, so yeah, it was, he was close. And then, and then you add in all of the close calls that he had in other tournaments, right? In, in us opens. And, uh, I mean, he won the PGA championship, but like it just, it was just a lovable loser. Phil Mickelson being able to finally get to the top of the mountain and don the green jacket. It's really incredible stuff. He would go on to win two more. Those were in 2006 and 2010 for his three green jackets for Phil Mickelson. Uh, there's also a little bit of a lefty thing at Augusta recently. I mean, Phil, Phil's got three, Bubba's got two. Um, 
lefties seem to really play well at Augusta National. And speaking of Bubba, 2012 was his year, was Bubba's year. And I, I went back and watched this one because I did not remember a lot of this. Uh, I remembered kind of like two very specific shots from this 2012 event. Um, and that was it. The two shots that stand out to everyone from this 2012 Masters were probably two of the greatest shots in Masters history. They happened in the same, in the same day, the same event. Louis Oosthuizen. On number two, the par five second makes an albatross on Sunday. He holds it from whatever, 230 yards out, whatever he was. He makes a two on a par five. That alone, only the fourth time an albatross has been recorded at Augusta National during the Masters. Now, I think if you remember this, Louis picks it up out of the cup and he throws it into the stands and Augusta National had to make a little deal with whoever received that to get the ball back. They did get it. Uh, I believe it's on display at Augusta National or at, the, or at the Golf Hall of Fame, but I believe that ball has been recovered. Uh, so that's, that's shot number one. Shot number two is the one that, of course, we all remember. It is the, um, the shot on 10 in the playoff. So if you remember this, Bubba and Louis are in a playoff uh, they get to the second playoff hole. The first playoff hole, they both hit the fairway, both hit the green, two putt, they both move on. That was played on 18. On 10, they both miss the fairway right. Louie hits his shot that comes up short of the green. Bubba is like 30 yards into, into the pine needles, into the trees, can't see the green from where he's at. Hits like a 140-yard wedge with 30 degree, 30 yards of, of hook on it. Lands it in the middle of the green. Two putts for the win uh, as Louie makes bogey. That's unbelievable. Um, that shot will go down in history. I mean, I remember when after that playoff was over, there were fans that ran back and like grabbed the divot or grabbed pine needles from over where Bubba hit it because they knew instantly it was going to be remembered as one of the most iconic uh, golf shots and, and major moments and master's moments that we were ever going to have. Now, here's what I did not remember about that 2012 year. Bubba was the eighth consecutive first-time major champion. So for a stretch of eight straight major champions, uh, it was all of their firsts, which is two full years. It's pretty incredible stuff. And he was the 14th different winner in 15 majors. So we were seeing a stretch of new winners, uh, you know, someone else coming on and winning. Like it was, it was a really great time in golf for parity. Uh, guys were, you know, just, it was so deep and a bunch of different guys were winning. I did not remember that Phil Mickelson was in the final group because Phil did not play all that well on Sunday, but he was in the final group with Bubba Watson and Bubba actually, no, I'm sorry. He didn't, he was not in the final group. I'm sorry. Phil was with Peter Hansen. Remember this? Peter Hansen slept on the lead after 54 holes at Augusta. Um, shot a 73 and finished tied for third. He was never in it. He shanked a shot early. It, it was just not Peter Hansen's day. Uh, it was Easter Sunday. I think this was the third time in seven years that Championship Sunday at the Masters has fallen on Easter Sunday. And Bubba started three shots back. Bubba started three shots back and shot a 68 thanks to birdieing four holes in a row on the back nine. He birdied 13, 14, 
15 and 16 to get into that playoff. Uh, really remarkable stuff. I, I didn't remember all of that, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Bubba goes out, hits one of the most iconic shots and you would go on to win, uh, what two years later again, uh, get a second green jacket. Speaking of green jackets and second green jackets, how about tiger in 2001? Um, this is a very interesting year because this was not necessarily the, the greatest masters ever, but the significance of this masters victory was massive. So tiger woods, 2001, he goes out and wins his second green jacket. So now this is now his 1997, 2001. Those are one and two. The big thing to come out of this, of course, was the tiger slam tiger won four majors in a row. So he'd won the three previous majors at the end of, of the 2000 season. And then the first major, the masters of the 2001 season, giving him the career grand slam, but even more so holding all of the, no, actually would have already had the career grand slam because he won the 1997 masters. He already had the career grand slam, but the tiger slam is him holding all four majors at the same time. Now, the only other guy to ever do that, to ever hold all four was of course, Bobby Jones, but that that's considered the grand slam, right? When you win all four in the same year, that's the grand slam. Tiger did four in a row, but across two years. So it is called the tiger slam. That's the history there. Could you imagine someone doing this today? Could you imagine I mean, Jordan Spieth actually did it, right? Jordan Spieth won the Masters in the U.S. Open and then finished like T2 at the Open Championship, which would have been like, he took the Grand Slam to the 71st hole at the Open Championship, I believe, off the, off the top of my head. But could you imagine if any golfer, no matter who it was today, won four majors in a row? I mean, we were foaming at the mouth when Kepka won, what, two in a row or won two in the same season? And he went back to back at both the U S open and the PGA championship. Like it's unfathomable. It, it would be unfathomable for anyone. Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, Justin Thomas, if they were to win three, three in a row or three in a single year would be unheard of. The fact that this man, Tiger Woods held all four at the same time is probably like nothing we will ever, ever experience again. And if you think about it, think about how rare it is when, the only two people to ever accomplish this feat of holding all four are Tiger Woods and Bobby Jones. That's it. That's the list. We are talking absolutely unchartered territory. Uh, we're talking the greatest to ever play the game. I mean, Jack Nicholas never did it. Arnold Palmer never did it. Uh, ben Hogan never did it. Gary Player never did it. I mean, guys that are literally the tops of the tops of the golf hall of fame have never done this. So for this to happen again, if this ever happened in the social media, Twitter, Twitter age, uh, it would be something really, really special. So that's the significance, you know, not necessarily a great, a great win. It was two shot win over David Duvall that it, it like was really, it was fine. It, there were, there were not a whole lot of iconic moments out of this 2001 masters, but the fact that, its significance in history is so large is what makes this interesting. And then also for me, this is kind of what I was alluding to with the 1997 victory. Hello world. Hello. Tiger Woods is on the scene. This was the first major 
with a million dollars or more for first place. So in just four years, we have more than doubled the winner's share of the masters. And now basically, you know, a million dollar prize up top at a major or at any event is, is small now. Uh, you know, even the smallest events on the PGA tour, it's usually like 1.1 million up top or 1.2 million. You get to something like the player's championship where it's like $2.1 million up top or Augusta, I think is now $2 million at the top. This is almost chump change now. And, and how quickly from 1997 to 2001, the winner's share doubled. I mean, that's, that is how quickly purses were, were rising in the game of golf and prizes were rising that in four years it doubled and we never looked back from this um you know that was now 19 years ago and now every event big or small has a prize that is larger than what we gave away in 2001 at the Masters. so this really is a very significant moment in um not only golf history with the the historic uh, results aspect of it but the the industry, the, the business of golf, the business of the PGA tour, the business of these majors and the sponsorships that go along with it. Now companies are throwing money at it and you're able to, uh, accomplish this. And now again, today we are, I mean, this is, this would be a small prize pool. This would be, this would be, I mean, even the Puerto Rico open, which is an alternate event. I think that's $500,000 to first. That was what the 1997 masters champion won. It's, it's really incredible stuff. All right, on the other side, we'll talk more Masters. I've got some fun facts for you. We'll talk about potentially the most exciting and maybe the best tournament ever. Masters, Majors, anything else. This is probably the most exciting tournament that we have ever seen. And we'll talk about that on the other side when we come back to golf betting on DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you, because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this week we actually started with some good news or some news to look forward to. Uh, Hope is such an incredible thing, and now we've got events rescheduled for the world of golf with the masters to be played in november but this was supposed to be masters week so what we've been doing is i've been going through some of the more memorable moments at augusta at the masters 
to discuss things that you remember, discuss things that you don't. I mean, there is so much history at Augusta National. We could talk about it forever. I, I, I mean, you have to understand, why, why is there so much history there? Someone asked me that. Why is there so much history at Augusta National? Well, first of all, not only is it the home of arguably the best, most important major, I think if you asked a lot of players, if there was one event that you could win, what would it be? They would answer the Masters. Um, it's an honor to even play there. But really, why it has so much history is because it's the only major that doesn't rotate. I mean, let's be honest here. It has four times the amount of tournaments played. I mean, more than that, actually, because sometimes if you look at the U.S. Open at a site that has been used very often, call it Torrey Pines, right? Torrey Pines has been the host of the U.S. Open, what, six to eight times? Winged Foot will be, you know, even even the Open Championship Rota, um, Troon, I think Royal Troon has hosted, I think, eight or nine times. Uh, that's it. That's a lot of history, though, for the Open Championship. And Torrey Pines has a lot of history for the U.S. Open. But the only major that doesn't rotate is, is, is the Masters at Augusta National. So there is just more opportunity for great things to happen, right? Imagine if you had eight times as many opportunities to make history at Torrey Pines. We would say, wow, look at all of these great moments there. It's magical. And it's, I'm not saying it's not magical. It absolutely is. But really, it's a numbers game. That's why we see so much great history year over year. And then when you start getting there every year, you know, the, the lore of it grows constantly, right? When, when a, a shot gets hit, now that gets added to the, to the memory bank. Um, and it's just constantly being updated. We, we know these holes. We know 18 through the trees, that, that drive through 18. We know 12 is the par three. We know, um, you know, 13's back up the hill and 13 T is the, is the quietest place on the course. We know all of that because we see this course so often and it's covered so well. So that is really why there are so many great moments and then the pressure, the the prestige, all of that goes into it, but it makes for really great lists and really great things like this. I could talk about memorable masters moments for three hours because it, there's just so much to go through. So the one that we would be remiss, uh, and actually before we jump into that, I do want to make one small note. I, I had forgot to mention this about the 1997 Masters. And that was the year that Tiger, at 21 years old, goes out and wins by 12 strokes. What I did not remember is that the next year, it would have been 2000, wait, hold on. I want to make sure I have this right. Yeah, it was 97, 98. 98 would have been... So what happened in 98 is Jack Nicholas beat Tiger Woods at 56 years old. So think about that. So the guy who just won the Masters last year by a record 12 shots, Jack Nicholas at age 56 beats you and goes five under in the 1998 Masters is unbelievable. That would be like if Rory McIlroy wins the Masters by 12 shots and then the next year Bernhard Langer beats him. That's probably not never going to happen. So the fact that Jack Nicholas, that was his really, his final, like really great year at Augusta. Uh, he played it until 2005. 2005 was his last year, but that was like the last time he was really 
playing well and playing well enough to kind of contend and put his name up on uh, near the top of the leaderboard. But to do that at a, such a at such an old age is is incredible, which I think is a really good segue into what could arguably be the greatest, not only Masters ever, not only Major ever, but could be the greatest tournament ever played. The 1986 Masters where Jack Nicklaus wins his 18th major and his 6th Masters. Both of those were already records at the time. He extended both of those records and became the oldest to win the green jacket at 46 years old. Think about this because what we will always remember is the final round in 1986. And that final round five different players had a share of the lead at one point. Let me read you off those names. Jack Nicholas, of course, he goes on to win. Seve Ballesteros, Greg Norman, Tom Kite, and Nick Price. That is literally five Hall of Famers battling it out on Sunday at Augusta where they're all touching the lead. It's absolutely unbelievable. There were, uh, you know, Jack making birdie on 18. There, uh, Seve hit a bad shot earlier in the round. There, I think both Greg Norman and Seve Ballesteros, uh, who ended up making bogeys at points in that final round or faltering at points during that final round, mentioned that the shots that they regret the most in their entire career came during that round. Uh, because of how it was playing out. It was, of course, the Masters and all of these big name heavyweight bouts, heavyweight guys are going at it. It's just absolutely remarkable stuff. We'll, we'll never see anything like it. Um, I, I want to also parlay this into, you know, uh, of course, to go back to Tiger, right? To, to go back to Tiger. And if you're talking about Augusta, you're talking about Tiger, who's got five green jackets and, uh, you know, one off the all-time record of, of Jack Six. 2005 was Tiger's fourth green jacket. It was the last one that he won before 2019, last year. That was also Jack Nicholas's final Jack Nicholas's final Masters that he played was 2005. There was a moment on Sunday where Tiger had about a foot a foot and a half tap in on hole number 11 and he bent down and putted it like Jack Nicklaus would, which is that, you know, straight back, bend down really low, uh, almost 90 degree back stance. And I, when I was rewatching that, I was in awe. Not only are you getting Tiger give this unbelievable honor, unbelievable uh, tribute to Jack Nicklaus in his last, his final Masters tournament, but for Tiger to do that on Sunday in black and red, a guy who usually clears everything out of his head, does nothing fun, does, like this guy was just cold-blooded every single shot of his career, especially during this time, for him to bend down and do that was something that I had forgotten. And now that, like I screen grabbed it, like that is seared into my brain that he did it. I could not believe it. Uh, that 2005, it was actually Tiger Woods beating Chris DeMarco in a playoff, they were seven shots clear of third. So it was really a Tiger versus DeMarco uh, final round. And of course, it's also um, not only the final masters for Tommy Aaron, for, for Billy Casper, but I mentioned for, mentioned for Jack Nicholas. this was the chip. This was the chip on 16 where, you know, Tiger's left of the green, 
Uh, he has to play it 20 feet out to the left, let it trickle down the hill, um, get the ball to check. It holds up on the lip for a second before it drops. This turned into every commercial, every everything. Um, that That's the memorable shot. But what actually kind of ruins that is if you remember, and you might not, Tiger bogeyed 17 and 18 coming in. So Tiger bogeys the last two holes to even get into that playoff with Chris DeMarco uh, when he probably should have had it wrapped up on 16. So uh, it loses a little bit of luster for that, but Tiger ends up winning it and getting his fourth green jacket. And then as we all know, he goes out last year and grabs his fifth green jacket, his first win at the Masters in 14 years. It was his first major victory in 11 years, going back to the 2000, it would have been 2008 US Open at Torrey Pines, speaking of Torrey Pines. And, you know, that 2019, I, I think it marked a new era for Tiger, right? I mean, a guy that we never thought, we didn't know if he was ever going to be able to get back to what he once was. And for him to go out and beat a field of, obviously, really great golfers, to win, uh, you know, one-shot victory over, you know, remember who came in second? Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Xander Shoffley all came in second, one shot behind Tiger Woods. But we'll most remember this for the Molinari implosion. You know, he hits the ball in, in the water on 12. He does it again on, on 15. He has not been the same since. That's the memory that comes out of 2019 as well for me. And then really, uh, this, this completely was forgotten in my mind that this was the first major that Tiger won when he was trailing through 54 holes. That's unbelievable. I mean, we knew Tiger was an absolute front runner and an absolute closer. Maybe he just hasn't had a bunch of bunch of opportunities to win when he's been trailing after 54, because if he's in contention, he's winning it and he just goes out and wins it. But like he was trailing through 54 holes. So this was the one that Never like a lot of these other masters victories, especially for Tiger, they kind of felt like he was going to win, right? There was, there was not a lot of drama in it. Uh, you know, Tiger wins by 12 shots. He wins by three shots. He gets to a playoff with Chris DeMarco wins that like they were never really that much up into, into contention, but this is the one where it's like, it's shaping up as the day's going on and we're going, Oh my gosh, Tiger's going to win this. Tiger's going to win the masters. This is unbelievable. Uh, and it was not a foregone, foregone conclusion like we have seen in other years from Tiger Woods. So uh, he will continue to be the reigning Masters champion until, as of right now, November of 2020, in which we will get a, a hopefully, a Masters tournament. And then we'll back one up five or six months later in April. So really, we're going to have two, I mean, Tiger could go out and, and break, break Jack's record in a, in a five month span in a six month span, win it in November, win it in April and, uh, take over the, take over the title. Wouldn't that be something we'd be talking about? And also really quickly, I do want to mention this before I get into some fun facts and some fun stats about the masters. The time we're in right now is going to be the answer to many trivia questions moving forward. Uh, I mentioned it at the top of the show. You know, the, the Open Championship being canceled this year will be the first major that was canceled since 1945. That's going to be a trivia question. When was the last time the Open Championship was not played? 2020. Um, you know, when, when, was the, when was the Masters not played in April? 2020. Uh, like, all of these things that we're going through right now are going to be trivia questions moving forward, um, which kind of takes me to this fun little segment that I have at the end here 
which is is really just some fun stats to come out of the Masters over the course of of its history. So I just wrote some of these down, and I've I've tweeted some of these out, I believe, but I just wanted to share share these with you because some of them are quite mind-boggling. Um, Jack Nicholas, uh, Jack Nicholas played 45 times in the Masters. He made 37 cuts, so 37 cuts out of 45 uh, 45 starts. He won it six times. He finished in the top five 15 different times and had a career earnings of $748,000. Think about that. Think about how low that is. Um, to me, this really illustrates the differences in the prize pools of what these guys are. It's just a different stratosphere. If you win any tournament six times, you are going to make way more than $748,000, let alone the Masters. If you top 15 or top five, uh, any tournament 15 times, you're going to make more, way more than this. To put it into perspective, at this year's Greenbrier, Tom Hoagie finished solo second and made $817,000. So Tom Hoagie in 2019-2020 season, a solo second at the Greenbrier, made more money than Jack Nicholas made in his entire master's career, which was 45 starts, 6 wins, and 15 top fives. It's unbelievable. More recently, only two golfers in the last 10 masters have, first of all, has played all 10 years. Only two golfers have played all 10 years. That's not true. Only two golfers have played all 10 years and made all 10 cuts. There are more golfers who have played all 10 years, but not all of them have made all 10 cuts. Those two names are Adam Scott and Matt Kuchar. So that is not only a feat of longevity and consistency, but success because you have to qualify for the masters. It's difficult to qualify so you've got to be consistent. You've got to be uh, healthy, right? I mean, we've seen guys that are not healthy, right? That that will go and play every single year and to make the cut. The longest stretch of most starts while never missing a cut was Johnny Palmer, 13. Between the years of 1942 and 1957, of course, he did not play every year in that span, but uh, made 13 starts at the Masters, made the cut in every single one. That is currently the longest streak of golf uh, are the most starts at the Masters while never missing a cut. There are some guys who have the ability to to catch him. Someone like a Jordan Spieth could be a guy who uh, could do that. He's on a pretty good start. Speaking of Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth has top five the Masters in 67% of his starts. It's four out of six. Jordan Spieth has made six starts at the Masters. That is the highest percentage of top fives for anyone who has played this event at least four times. Tiger is second, 55%. So Jordan Spieth, 67% to Tiger Woods is 55%. So Tiger Woods has top fived the Masters in 12 of his 22 starts. It's absolutely unbelievable to think about. It's, it's almost inconceivable. Uh, then I've got this one, another Jordan Spieth stat. So, uh, Jordan Spieth owns the best round one scoring average, 69 and a half. He is tied with Charlie Hoffman, which should be no surprise. If you watch the masters the last couple of years, Charlie Hoffman seems to always jump out, uh, to the lead on Thursday on Friday, and then tends to find a way to collapse, which is kind of shown in the rest of this stat. So Jordan Spieth, the, you know, obviously, uh, the first round is not necessarily a correlation to success because while Spieth has his six starts, it's got one win and four top fives with the same first round scoring average of Charlie Hoffman, who has six starts and only one top 10. So he has jumped out of the gate 
uh, faster than almost everybody in the field almost every year, but has only converted that into one top 10. So while being great on Thursday is a lot of fun, uh, not necessarily turns into a lot of success unless you're Jordan Spieth. That'll do it. For this episode of Golf Betting On Demand, we covered the Masters, we had some fun facts, and we looked ahead to potential dates that we get back to golf, we get back to the Masters, we get back to the U.S. Open, we get back to the PGA Championship. Golf is coming, folks. Stay tuned for more information. You can get me on Twitter, at Rick Good. This has been Golf Betting On Demand, and I'll see you next time. Game Time Decisions. This is where we're at now, guys, with the NBA. They're working on a game of horse amongst players that would be in different gyms. But that should be pretty cool. A guy would be alone in a gym in his backyard or whatever. He'd take a shot, talk some smack, and then they'd go, all right, what you got, LeBron? LeBron would be in his backyard on his own hoop there. He'd take a shot. That's something we could bet on. You know what I'm saying? That's something like I would be like, all right, who's going to win a game of horse? I'll take the rant, or I'll take Van Fleet. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.